Break Hard Podcast, back for the first official race week of the season, at least the one that counts. We had all three NASCAR series in competition down in Daytona this weekend. You know, the trucks on Friday night, Xfinity on Saturday night, evening, Saturday evening, I guess it ended at night. And then you have the NASCAR Cup Series and the Daytona 500 on Sunday. I don't even know where to begin. We had a solid weekend of racing overall, I guess, the Cup race. What you got to see of it in between um, commercials, there was, for every three minutes of commercials, we got three minutes of of race, early on the race, at least for, basically the first 75% of the race was three minutes of commercials, three minutes of actual racing. And it was incredibly frustrating. So what we got to see, the racing actually looked really good. Good side-by-side racing. It was a third, so Fox and NASCAR are going to tout this as the third most competitive Daytona 500 ever based on the number of lead changes uh, that we had, which is certainly a thing you can do uh, if you wanted to. The cars stayed side by side for a majority of the race. There were 52 lead changes and, you know, obviously lead changes scored at the line. So we had a lot of people leading laps um, throughout the, the day. But I would argue that that's not necessarily the most competitive 500 we've ever seen because it was kind of just like especially early on in the race there larson and bowman just trading back and forth the lead chris rebel took the lead for a little bit logano took the lead uh so you had guys just kind of trading the lead back and forth while running side by side because it was kind of hard to break away or kind of assert dominance in this race but either way it, from what you got to see in between the commercials which were rudely the race was rudely interrupting the commercial breaks um, so apologies to all the advertisers out there that people would actually want to see the race. Um, yeah, the racing looked pretty good. And then in the final 50 laps, Fox kind of got their things together and didn't show as many commercials, or at least were going side by side. But it's really frustrating to be a fan and a person that wants to watch the entire race because I need to know what's going on at all times. Strategy, if strategy could possibly come into play with stages because it's kind of taking all the strategy out. I would like to know what's going on. And instead, they kind of front-loaded all the commercials so that they could show the final 50, which is great because certainly want to see the end of the race. But I also would like to see how things are developing. And the fact that Fox cannot figure out how to show the Daytona 500 with side-by-side commercials at all times during green flag racing is absolutely beyond me. As a person that works in marketing and advertising it's not that difficult to figure out they're just refusing to do it because they don't want to take away a little bit of the money they could make obviously everybody's out there to make money but they would argue that they're not breaking even if they don't do this which is vehemently not true Um, they're just not going to make as big of a margin on it and that's really just frustrating uh to to watch because there were multiple times where they went to commercial and it was like, we have no idea what's going on. They don't even tell us what happened. Christopher Bell took the lead. Fox didn't show us how he got the lead until a complete another commercial break had already happened, um, which was I, realistically only six minutes later, but it's super speedway racing. That's a long ass time. So that was really frustrating. And I'm not going to get all into that because I want to be positive right now. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the Daytona 500. His third career win, uh, the biggest win ever for JTG uh, Doherty Racing, obviously. I mean, they have wins before with 
Marcus. No. Yeah. Who have they won with? Just Almendinger, right? Yeah, just Almendinger. That's what I thought. I couldn't remember if Marcus won with them or not. He did not. He won his races with um, Richard Petty Motorsports and whatever fucking version that was um, back in the day. But yeah, so they got their one career win with with Rick or with AJ Almendinger at Watkins Glen in 2014, and they just picked up another one uh, today, which is awesome for that team. They downsized obviously two years ago to a one car team. They're kind of I would say they struggled last year for sure. They show glimpses of speed every now and then, but Ricky gets it done, uh, wins under caution after a massive crash in turn one that sent. Kyle Larson head on into the wall, a la Dale Earnhardt. And Brad Kozlowski absolutely slammed the wall as well. Both of them are okay, thankfully. But when you see guys like that take gigantic hits like that, your first thing is to jump to the concussion question. And Larson said he was okay. He wore a mouthpiece, or he's wearing a mouthpiece this year that measures the G-force of hits. So he said he's interested to see that. And I think we're all kind of interested to see um, that. So that wreck happened. Stenhouse is just out front when the caution comes out. He wins. Joey Logano finishes second. Christopher Bell finishes third. Christopher Busher finishes fourth. My brain locked up there for a second. Alex Bowman fifth. AJ Allmendinger in sixth. Daniel Suarez seventh. Ryan Blaney eighth with a completely wrecked race car. Ross Chastain ninth. And Riley Herbst in the Rick Ware number 15 car rounds out your top 10 with that Sunny D sponsorship. Travis Pastrana. Came so close to scoring a top 10 in his NASCAR Cup Series debut. He finishes 11th. Uh, hell of a day for, for Pastrana. He went a lap down early. Managed to get back on the lead lap. Gets all the way up there. Leads two laps during the race. And uh, hey, he's uh, finishes 11th. And I think that's got to feel like a win for, for him. Good story all around. He stayed, stayed out of a lot of the wrecks. He was involved in that last one. Uh, Eric Almarola hit him they were running the high side Almarola hits him in the corner spins out Pastrana well turns him down he hooks Larson that sends Larson to the wall and then all hell broke loose behind them there Cody Ware finishes 14th that's insane and uh, Zane Smith 13th so good run for good runs for the small guys Kyle Busch was a lap away lap and a half away from winning the Daytona 500 and a caution comes out because Daniel Suarez spins into the trioval gets stuck in the grass. They have to throw a caution. They were very quick to throw the caution before they knew that he was actually stuck. And unfortunately, Kyle Busch goes from likely only having to fend off his teammate for the win to getting shuffled out, caught up in a wreck, and finishing 19th. And that's got to be demoralizing because he had one of the best cars all day. He only led six laps, uh, but he went to the back, from the back to the front, back to the back, Back to the front. So he was one of the guys that could make things happen. And uh, that's a shame. Brad Kozlowski had a great car all day. That sixth car was probably the best one in this race. He led 42 laps, gets caught up in that crash. His day's over. Austin Sindrick decided he didn't want to keep the trend going of last year's winners. Just winning again this year. Zane Smith went back-to-back. Austin Hill went back-to-back. Austin Sindrick went first last year and 23rd this year. Ty Gibbs had a flat tire. He finishes... 25th on the day um he had a flat tire on the broadcast i saw it happen and the broadcast just never talked about it he was on the lead lap i think he's probably running like top 12 too when it happened 
never mentioned it, which is pretty apropos for the Fox booth, um, especially during this race. Harrison Burton, uh, <laughs> he was leading there late in the race. Uh, finishes 26. He hit the wall. Well, he pushed Kyle Bush. He hit Kyle Bush and pushed him into the wall. Uh, thankfully, I'm kind of glad that he wasn't in contention because I just don't want to see his mom on the broadcast because Fox would have easily done a picture-in-picture of the race and Kim Burton sitting on the top of the box, but it would have been Kim Burton in the full screen and then the race and the little picture-in-picture squared down in the bottom. Connor Daly, he was six laps down on speed and still finishes 29th, so not last. BJ McLeod, again, uh, he did not have any mechanical failures. He somehow finished eight laps down, so two laps behind Connor Daly. Uh, FanDuel had um, <laughs> FanDuel had BJ McLeod going off at what was it like fifteen hundred to one plus fifteen hundred I should say to score a top ten. I almost bet it because I was like, man, if things get crazy, BJ is on. All he has to do is stay on the lead lap. I completely underestimated just how bad that uh, live fast motorsports car is. And I would argue that if that's the pace that they're going to have all season, they should probably get their charter pulled. Jimmy Johnson ran a phenomenal race. Top 10 a lot of the day. Top 12, 15 the whole day. I mean, he was up there the entire time. Gets caught up in a wreck late. He comes home 31st, which is super unfortunate because he had a much better run going than that. William Byron looked like he might be a guy to contend with there late. Caught up in a wreck. Ryan Priest caught up in a wreck. Uh, Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, and Eric Jones all got caught up in the same wreck when Ryan Blaney got turned. Is that what happened? I can't remember off the top of my head. I should probably look at my notes because I take notes during races because I'm a goddamn professional. Let me see here. Oh, no. Reddick got tagged by Kevin Harvick, which then collected Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, all in the process. So, yeah, uh, the beginning of the race, Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman were just content on making the field ride two by two all the way behind them as they just paced the field. And Larson was only running like 60% throttle in the corner to make sure that the outside line could maintain alongside of him and he could back up the inside line. And Logano was not happy about that. And he apparently thinks he's the new Dale Earnhardt because he tagged the... um, he tagged the five car and almost spun him out. And he said over the radio, tell him to stop running half throttle. And uh, it's it was like lap 12. So I don't know, dude. There's 188 laps to go. Why don't we just chill out for a little bit? Ty Dillon blows up. He was the only car to suffer a engine failure, which is just very on brand for Ty Dillon. He was not missed in the race. Travis Toronto went a lap down after he drove through too many boxes on pit exit, which that's just a mistake that happens because he's never been in the in the race before and doesn't probably know all of the rules. Rebounded from that, though, like I said, P11 finish for him. Bubba Wallace looked really strong early, probably going to win the battle of the fast food chains, which he he didn't still, did he? Yeah, he did still win. He finished 20th, even with a wrecked race car, and Noah Gregson finished 24th. Um... He gets put in the wall after a heavy bump by Martin Shrek Jr., who was being shoved along by Denny Hamlin, who owns Bubba Wallace's car. Bubba hit the outside wall, and 
it definitely knocked the toe out a little bit, and it, the car was just not running straight because he didn't have the speed. He restarted on the front row twice, back-to-back, and both times the field could – I mean, the first time they didn't get a chance, but the second time they could not have freight trained him faster because he just didn't have the speed to lead the pack. Uh, still gets a top-20 finish, though, which is unfortunate because he would he looked really strong at the beginning. Led five laps, definitely – you know he's going to be in contention there at the end. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger put himself – right in the middle of the pack and fucked up the entire pack because he needed to keep that lucky dog spot for himself. And he did. He just probably didn't make too many friends in the process. Got a P6 finish out of the day too. So without doing that, he'll probably get back on the lead lap at some point, but uh, he forced the issue, got himself back on the lead lap and then damn near won the race. So worked out well for him. Kyle Busch got a speeding penalty on lap 109. He dropped to the back, like I said, came back to the front, sitting perfect to win this race, um, and didn't get it done, which is super unfortunate for him, and it would have just been a good storyline altogether. We'll get to a Kyle Busch thing that he said here in a minute. And then there was a big wreck that uh, collected Martin Trex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Ryan Priest, Michael McDowell. Uh, the car's just kind of stacked up in the top lane, everyone accordion behind that, and then all hell broke loose. And then in the final laps, you had Suarez spin out, Brings out the caution on lap 199. So the two to go. And then you had... You had the restart. And they all bunched up. Or all wadded it up there. You had Cendric, Gill, and Burton, Gragson, um, Austin Dillon. All of them just get turned going into turn three. Well, Austin Dillon kind of triggered the whole thing when he got turned. And then all hell broke loose behind him. Took out a bunch of cars. And then we come back. Lap 212. And wadded up a bunch of them again. Race finishes under caution. Ricky Zanthouse Jr. is your winner. Which is just... I mean, it's great. I'm so happy for Ricky. I'm just kind of turned off by how this race ended. Three hours, 38 minutes. A really... Only 11,538 green flag passes. We've definitely seen way more than that. Um in recent years but yeah it was um it was a race 212 laps at it so was that 230 miles oh no 530 miles just a brutal day uh at the very end there and you knew that's how it was going to be yeah 530 miles because i'm smart with math uh you just knew how that that's how it was going to end when everything was so calm at the beginning pretty much knew all hell was going to break loose at some point and it did and i you know the older i get the less i want to see race cars get torn up one because i understand how much things cost and two i i we can keep wrecking these cars super hard and we can keep tallying the safety and i'm super happy about the safety because like i said larson went into the wall like he was dale earnhardt in 2001 and he got out and walked away perfectly fine Perfectly fine from what we could tell and what he said. At, at some point, though, somebody's not getting out and walking away. And that's what scares me about this, is that everybody's just so complacent sort of with the safety. And we've seen how dangerous this car can be with its concussions, with its broken legs. Like, it's potentially not the safest car in the world. But at the same time, we're just out here acting like it, everything's fine. And that is a bit concerning to me. So... You know, I don't know. 
I, I don't like seeing all these cars get wrecked at the end of races, races just because we want to finish a race under green. That's dumb to me. I'm, I know I'm in the minority here. This is a very unpopular opinion, but I'm fine with the race ending at the scheduled race distance. If the race should have just ended under caution at lap 200, Kyle Busch is the winner and everyone goes home happy. And we don't have a whole bunch of junked up race cars because after that Suarez caution, they crashed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 cars. Over half, they jumped over half the field because they needed to run exactly two, not even two complete green flag laps. That's dumb to me. That does not make any sense. And why do they do it? Because some mouth breather in the stands needs to see a green flag finish because his brain isn't strong enough to compute the fact that a race just finishing under caution at the scheduled race distance is just how things should be. He's only just enamored with crashes and NASCAR needs to give him crashes because that's what their promos promise because Harrison Burton goes flipping down the straightaway during a Super Bowl commercial. And that's all what it comes down to is NASCAR just trying to appease this really dumb portion of the fan base or just try to get this viral moment that they can put out there on Instagram or TikTok or whatever and get a whole bunch of hits on because somebody wrecked really hard. To me, that's just dumb. I would much rather have seen Kyle Busch, no offense to Ricky Tennant, but Kyle Busch winning. Oh, you don't get that photo op and potential photo finish. Not every race has to be a photo finish. Not every race is a absolute all-time classic every time it's ran. Sometimes things just end under caution. And guess what? When we didn't have the overtime rule, they didn't wreck at the start finish, or they didn't wreck in the final two laps all that often. We only got overtime because it happened a couple times. People were like, oh, we need to see green flag finishes. We paid. The most annoying thing about American sports fans is the, the caveat that we paid for a ticket. We deserve to see this finish under green. We deserve to see it finish, you know, in overtime or whatever. No, you don't. Sometimes that's just how things play out. Not everybody goes home happy. Do you think soccer fans want to see ties all the time? Absolutely not. They'd love to see a fucking seven-goal performance. It doesn't happen all the time. And then sometimes they just go home with a tie. Sometimes you just see a race end under caution. I've seen an Indiana- a few Indianapolis 500s finish under caution. Totally fine with it. Why? Because the race stops at 500 miles. And that's exactly what should have happened here tonight. And instead, they wad up over half the field. People take gigantic hits for no reason. And NASCAR gets a viral clip that they can put on the internet. So, I, I mean, that's what they want to do. It's an entertainment business. We've talked about it before. But, man, it was such a good race up until that point. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose. So, either way, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. locks himself into the playoffs, which is great for him, great for that small team. That now takes away a spot from guys that we probably thought had a better shot at doing it, or at making the playoffs at least. So, 15 more spots available, 25 races to go. Uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, which again, we could have said the same thing for Austin Cendrick last year. So it really comes down to what's going to happen over the next 25, 25 races. I think 26 weeks because we'll have an off weekend sometime in the summer for, you know, one week, which I think is actually Father's Day and that's dumb, but we're not getting into that right now. The Fox booth could not have been worse today. Uh, Sunday, so if you're listening to this some other day, it was on Sunday, obviously. Uh, they were just atrocious. I don't know if Mike Joy was, like, 
fucking with us. But he kept saying, why? 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 Like he was in fucking Family Guy. He was saying it like Rod when they were sending him down on the street luge and Hot Rod. I don't get it. Why are you saying what? What way? That's what he was doing. But like unironically. I think he might just have a speech impediment now. He also said that Kyle Busch and Tyler Reddick essentially just swapped rides. And that 2311 Racing went out and got Tyler Reddick to take over the 45 car after Kurt Busch had his concussion. Neither of which are true. Tyler Reddick was already signed to 45, or to the 2311 Racing. Maybe not to take over the 45, but he was signed to 2311 Racing. Kyle Busch has nothing to do with 2311 Racing. He left Joe Gibbs Racing. The 18 was renumbered the 54. Ty Gibbs took over that ride. Tyler Reddick left the 8 to go to the 45, and Kyle Busch filled the vacant seat there. At no point did they ever swap rides. I haven't seen Tyler Reddick over at the JGR shop hopping in the 18 slash 54. I don't know where the hell that came from. Clint Boyer was... I I despise Clint Boyer in the booth. Especially when he tries to put on his accent and his good old boy routine. And he'll just be like, Hey Jimmy, it's Clint Boyer and the boys up in the booth. What do you think is going to happen? And it's like... Can we just, like, as a sport, come together... I understand this was a sport born in the Southeast. It's not the Southeastern sport anymore. It's a, na- a nationwide sport. Can we just agree to sort of kick that old school Southern boy act to the curb? Because there's like three drivers from the South in NASCAR anymore. And Chase Elliott's the biggest one. And he doesn't sound like a fucking redneck at all. But instead, we have Clint Boyer up here. And my my girlfriend watched the truck race with me. And she's like, I'm always surprised. She said this about me. She said, I'm always surprised that you're a NASCAR fan. Mainly because I have a high education. I don't look like a NASCAR fan. I don't live a life like a NASCAR fan. I have a, whatever, I'm not getting into everything. But I don't fit the mold of a NASCAR fan. What it comes down to is I just like race cars. But when we were watching the truck race and they started talking... She goes, see, this is why I can't take it seriously. And basically, it's because they sound like fucking idiots. Rednecks. No offense to people with Southern accents. You just sound dumb. I don't, I I can't explain it. Bill Burr had a great bit where he was like, if Albert Einstein had a Southern accent, E equals MC squared, like that, nobody would take him seriously. And he's right. It just comes down to the accent. The reason that young people like Formula One so much in the sky coverage Half of it, one, other than the fact that it is presented in a very professional manner and actually makes you think it's like a legitimate championship and not some sort of sideshow comedy act that Fox makes NASCAR out to be, is because of their British accent. If we just let Sky call NASCAR races, people would be like, oh shit, this is actually really entertaining. Or if we had the Aussie supercar people come over and call the races uh, with their accents. It all just comes down to accents that we think are cooler, and nobody likes a southern accent. So we need to knock that off. Then we have the amount of sponsorship during this race. It was absolutely insane. I jotted down some of them. You had the Toyota rev up to the green before the race. The pod's big move of the race, which happened on lap 30. There's still 170 laps to go. The Ram running order. The Wendy's beef of the race. You have the Guns N' Roses on board. The Coca-Cola, you're watching Fox promo. Monitoring the race, sponsored by Dexcom. The Bush 401 promo. The Bass Pro, Coca-Cola crank it up. Bush Light on board, the Discount Tire on board, the Squaring Up presented by Wendy's, the Toyota All Out segment. 
Guys, I didn't even get all of them. I didn't have time. Like, I, I, I was getting distracted. I was trying to do 18 different things while watching the race. Um, try and take notes, keep track of that, listen to scanners, you know, all the things. What? This is just so much sponsorship. We were teeing up Guns N' Roses sponsorship before we even went to break so that we could lead into a commercial. I've never seen that happen on a broadcast before where we're leading into commercials. Typically, we try to lead into segments. Fuck. So that was odd. And then, I mean, the first 96 laps of the race, they had 10 commercials. And if you're like sitting at home, you're like, well, that's only a commercial every nine laps. Yeah, that's true. But you have a simplistic brain because they go to commercial and you're missing probably four laps while they're at commercial. So now you take that out and you're going to commercial every five laps, basically. Every four to five laps, they were going to commercial in the first 100 laps of the race. Absolutely unacceptable. The first side-by-side didn't come until lap 50, like one, I believe. And then they didn't do another one until like lap 120. I just, when you're at super speedways, particularly the Daytona 500, and probably the cutoff race at Daytona and the Talladega playoff race, all green flag laps should be shown side-by-side when you go to commercials. And then during cautions and stage breaks, you go to full screen commercials. That's the only time that's acceptable. Why they haven't figured that out yet is beyond me. And I want, I wish, I know they're not going to, but NASCAR in their negotiations with their next TV partners, which will likely be Fox and NBC again, needs to make that a huge, huge point that we need to work on the amount of commercials that are in broadcast. Because one of the biggest complaints I constantly see are people that are like, I don't like watching American racing. And this is from people outside this country because people inside this country have just been you know, beaten up so much by the broadcast partners like an abused partner that we just accept it now. That we're just like, yeah, that's how it is, dude. Like, we just miss a half of the... We miss half the race. And meanwhile, Formula One is shown commercial-free. And now people are trying to, like, watch NASCAR. They're like... The biggest problem to me is you have new motorsports fans in this country that, that, you know, Drive to Survive got them into Formula One and then they want to check out NASCAR and IndyCar because they're like, oh, I like motorsports now. And then they try to watch it and the, the broadcast is so broken up because of these commercials, it makes it really hard for them to follow along. And then they just give up and don't want to watch it. And I completely understand it because there were points today where I just wanted to give up. I was like, I'm just going to record the race and just go back and watch it. That way I can skip the commercials. I don't have to deal with this bullshit every five laps. And then I can just get done with the race in probably like 45 minutes is what it comes down to. Um, I didn't. I watched the whole thing, obviously, because I'm here talking to you now a mere hour and a half after the race is over. But, man, do they need to figure it out. Mike Joy just doesn't have it anymore. Clint Boyer, there's just no chemistry there. Tony Stewart was fine, I guess. So he'll be in the booth again next week at Fontana. And then it'll be Danica for Phoenix and Las Vegas. And then Tony's back in the booth again at Atlanta. I don't understand this because they have Jamie Mack on the payroll. They should put Jamie McMurray in the booth other than the fact that Jamie McMurray appears to just have this absolute hatred for Clinton Boyer. If you watch the pre-race show when they're both sitting down on the the, uh, the race day stage or whatever the fuck they're calling it, Clint would like make a point and try to be like, huh, right, Jamie? Jamie gave him nothing. Just get cold-shouldered him for like three hours. So I don't know what's going on there, which I don't blame Jamie. I'm probably on team... Uh, Jamie Mack there, but they they got to do something, man. 
I just I know I know NASCAR is going to re up with Fox. They have an exclusive negotiating period that I don't think ends until August, and I just know they're going to re up with both of them. Fox wants to continue. NASCAR thinks it's a great thing, but gosh, dude, they do so many bad things. And I I I wanted to legitimately give them a chance to start the season off. Like, all right, we're not going to complain. We're going to let them, you know, see what they bring to the table. Hoping that they had read some of the criticism during, you know, the last seven months, eight months almost, since the last time they were on air. And what did they come out and give us? The exact same goddamn thing that they're always giving us, which is dog shit. So, they're just, I don't know. It's just frustrating. Anyways, talk about the Xfinity race real quick. Dale Jr. has to be absolutely furious with his drivers. Because they were sitting real pretty, two, three, four, and five, in the closing laps of that race. All they had to do was beat Austin Hill. And instead of beating Austin Hill and winning the race with one of their four cars, they wrecked two of them. The other one runs out of gas, and the other one finishes like fifth. Third, sorry, in Justin Allgaier. So they had a they had the plan. They had it laid out perfectly. All four of them go at the same time. They're gonna pass Austin Hill, and then they could battle it out at the end. And instead, AJ or not AJ. Justin Allgaier decides that he needs to make a move and completely fucks up the entire plan. So that ruined the entire plan. Then Josh Berry runs out of gas. And then Sam Mayer ends up on his roof going for the win against Austin Hill. And then Austin Hill wins the race under video review, which took like eight minutes for them to finally determine who the winner was. Austin Hill wins. John Hunter Nemechek second. Justin Allgaier third. Allgaier, again, if he would have just played the good teammate role, he could have got all four of his teammates out in front of Austin Hill, and then they could have all battled it out there at the end. Parker Retzlaff finishes fourth. That's clearly his best career finish. Myatt Snyder, fifth. He won't be back in that car until June at Portland. Riley Herb, sixth. Joe Graff, Jr., seventh. Damn it. Gonna make me eat my words. Ryan Sieg finishes 8th, Cole Custer ninth, and Justin Haley rounds out your top 10 as he hopped in the 10 car for college racing for this race. It was, um, it was a race. Yeah, Josh Berry comes home 26th, Sam Mayer 27th after ending up on his roof. Yeah, Dale Jr. just can't be happy about that. Same way he couldn't be happy after, you know, the championship race last year at Phoenix when they... You know, had three of the four cars in the championship race, and they left with not the championship. Super, that has to be super frustrating. Either way, the race was pretty solid for the most part. Austin Hill was clearly far and away the best car out there. Uh, Even after the race, Dale Jr. said that that 21 car is the best car at Daytona right now, and he's the best driver at Daytona. As far as it goes, he has three Xfinity Series wins now, all three of them on drafting tracks. Two at Daytona, one at Atlanta. Locks himself into the playoffs again. I still think that we'll see him up in the Cup Series next year um, with someone, just not 100% sure who yet. Parker Clearman came back to the series full time this year, driving the 48 car for Big Machine Records. And I don't know if. He thought that he needed to win the race in the championship in the first weekend, but my guy was a weapon out there. He finishes 23rd. 
he was trying to island hop late there in the race. Everybody was running single file in the high lane. So he was going into the corner, diving down to the bottom, and then trying to slide job up in front of people. He was maybe halfway alongside Jeffrey Earnhardt and then just decided to try to squeeze his way in and then put Jeffrey into the wall. Jeff cuts down a tire, has to pit. He ends up finishing 28th, what should have been a top 12 run for him easily. And then after the race, Parker goes down there to, you know, talk to Jeffrey, and he doesn't really take any blame for any of the things that he did. And that, I don't know, man. Like, Parker's a, I thought was a good guy, but he was involved in a couple incidents where it's like, uh, I don't, I don't know if you know what you're doing out there right now. So that was a little bizarre. You had, um, couple guys get caught up in a crash early on lap 21 and then there's another wreck um on lap 42 which you know collected a couple guys daniel daniel hemrick got caught up in a wreck early uh that knocked him out sheldon creed can't catch a break in the xfinity series he got turned into the uh, outside wall going into turn one casgrall blew up in that 26 car for sam hunt and then, yeah, Jeffrey, or not Jeffrey, Sam Mayer ends up on his roof. Jay Buford looked like he might have a legit shot there for a minute. Sammy Smith got involved in a wreck, still finishes 19th uh, with that car that has a decent amount of damage on the front of it. Overall, though, excuse me, overall, though, pretty solid extended race at Daytona. 25 lead changes. How many leaders did we have? Eleven different leaders. That's not bad. It was uh, the Xfinity cars definitely have the best package when it comes to super speedway racing right now. They can pass pretty easily. They can pull up to each other pretty well. Everything that they're doing, they should just keep keep doing. As I say, keep on keeping on. Austin Hill finished, or he's leading the points right now. Obviously, this doesn't really matter. Justin Allgaier in second. John Hunter Nemechek in third. Um, you had Allgaier win a stage, stage two. Austin Hill led, or won the other one. Overall, though, it was kind of like, uh, it was ho-hum. It was fine. I wouldn't call it the best race ever. The fact that it needed a video review of seven minutes after the race kind of, uh, you know, it was a little lackluster as everybody's just sort of sitting around at the entrance of pit road trying to figure out, you know, who was who was the actual winner. But, you know, overall, could have been could have been better, could have been worse. It was I'd give it a seventy five. Nah, I'd give it an eighty. It didn't finish under green, which was a bummer. Um, they also went into overtime by five laps. A legit 5,000 even for green flag passes. Don't see that happen too often. 53.8 per green flag lap. Uh, All right, well, I think we all know how that works out. Anyways, Xfinity's back in action this weekend, upcoming weekend at Fontana. If Cole Custer doesn't win that race, that's an absolute failure on his part (laughs) because he won that race last year driving a, uh, was it SS green light car for Bobby Doddart? So... Yeah, he should absolutely win this year um, in an actual SHR car. Obviously, last year he had an SHR car as well, but 
we won't talk about that because they don't like to talk about that. Anyway, on to the Truck Series race. I'm sorry, that I didn't have a lot for the Xfinity Series race. I watched it, and I'll be honest, I just didn't think it was that great of a race um, after all. But hey, Austin Hill got those big-ass tomahawk steaks to take home and feed him and his wife and their three kids now. Shit. Also, when his kids came out of the stands, his daughters, I was like, there's no way he could say those kids aren't his. They look just like him, good or bad. Up to you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was very obvious. Zane Smith won the Truck Series race on Friday night. It was just, it was bad. And bad, not bad from a racing standpoint. The racing that we actually got to see, I thought was good. But we had 79, the race didn't go complete. Um, It ended after 79 laps. Supposed to be a 100 lap race. Ends 21 laps early. Zane Smith's your winner. But 41 of those 79 laps were run under caution. And for you math whizzes at home, and right now you're thinking, man, 41 seems like more than half of 79. That's because it is. So half of the race was run under caution as they tried to battle the mist as if this was fucking Pocono in July. And and the mist never went away. There's nothing on the radar. Mist won't stop. So NASCAR just finally gave up at like 11 o'clock. Name Zane Smith the winner. He locks into the playoffs. There isn't a hotter prospect name right now in NASCAR than Zane Smith. Will he be the next driver of the number four car for Stuart Haas Racing? If Ford was smart, yes. Ford is not smart, so he definitely won't be. And they'll be like, oh, you can do a season next year in the 38 car for Front Row Motorsports replacing Todd Gillen. That's dumb. And Ford, once again, or Ford will just fuck this whole thing up somehow, and he'll just end up at, like, Gibbs replacing Martin Truex Jr. So... You know, Zane Smith's a hot prospect. I just don't have any faith in Ford actually doing the right thing and putting him in a position to succeed. And I just assume that he'll probably end up leaving because this is the same Ford that fucked up Jeff Gordon, Casey Kane. They wouldn't let Ford or they wouldn't let SHR sign Kyle Larson, and then they passed on Kyle Busch too. So they they have a long history, and I know I've missed people in between there, but they have a long history of just not securing people when they absolutely should and that's not a surprise but yeah tanner gray finished the second his best career finish in that new toyota team for david gillen racing which is now tricon racing which or tricon garage sorry um yeah that's the new toyota team or the factory toyota team Christian Eckes finishes third in his first race for Bill McAnally in that 19 car replacing Derek Krause. Colby Howard finishes fourth. Grant Enfinger fifth. Ty Majeski sixth. He looked like he might have a shot to win it at some point. Tyler Ankrum led some laps as well. He finishes seventh. Damn near wrecked twice in the same lap. Great saves on both ends of the racetrack from him. Corey Heim finishes eighth. Matt Crafton finishes ninth. Fun story about Matt Crafton. He has 521 NASCAR truck series starts. The most all-time. Only 15 wins. And uh, I know right now you're sitting at home going, man, that doesn't seem like a lot. You're right. That is not a lot uh, at all, honestly. It's, I don't want to say pathetic, but it's bad. Because 15 out of 521. Let me do the math here real quick. Pull out my trusty calculator. 521. No, no, sorry. 15 divided by 521. That is a... 2% 2% win percentage? Move the decimal twice. One, two. Yeah, 2.8. Bad. Not good. Things are not good there. 
he's made a career out of it. I'll give him that. This dude ran one, two, three, four, five, six, seven complete seasons. Seven seasons in a row to start his career off, never winning a race. Then he finally wins a race in 2008. He goes two more years winless. Finally wins again in 2011. Another winless year. Finally wins in 2013. Wins two in 2014. Gets real wild in 2015. Wins six races. Finishes third in the championship. Okay. Wins six races. Over a third of his career wins came in one season. Two in 2016. One in 2017. Two more winless seasons, which included a championship season in 2019. Figure that one out. One win in 2020 and winless again last year. I want the career that my, Matt Crafton has. I mean, the man's made over, at least over $10 million in career earnings on track. I don't know what his contract pays him, but he's living a pretty good life. And all you got to do is win every now and then? Win 2.8% of the time? Shit. I mean... That means basically he should have two to three wins every three years. It's basically what his, in a three years, no, no, in a three year span, yeah, he should get 2.8 wins. Hell. I mean, that's, in, in baseball, that's not even Hall of Fame numbers. But good for him for making a career out of it. Happy for Matt Crafton. Um, the booth, the Fox booth, still is a firm believer that Matt Benedetto is a championship favorite. I'll just come out here and say he's he's not. But we can pretend again. I like to pre- we all like to pretend. So many unstable trucks in this race. I actually wrote that down in my notes. Nick Sanchez and specifically Nick Sanchez, Chase Purdy, Tyler Ankrum, those guys. They were all over the place. They were skating out there. There were multiple times, but all of those guys got put on skates. They're catching it. Dudes are just wheeling it out there. Um, so credit to all of them for never wadding it up. Daniel Dye got caught up in an accident multiple times, I believe. Bart Kligerman caught up in an accident. Haley Deegan taken out early. I will say, well, I'm not going to say this, actually. Haley Deegan is a product of where she puts herself on the racetrack. And for once, she was actually running in the front half of the field. I mean, hell, she finished fourth in stage number one. So she put herself at the front in position. Um, And then she got caught up in a wreck fucking four laps after the end of the first stage. And that was the end of her night. So typically people are like, oh, she has the worst luck. Uh, When you get caught, getting caught up in wrecks usually isn't luck. It's you're just a product of where you put yourself out on the racetrack. This time wasn't actually her fault. So she did actually just have bad luck this week. Um, but again, it's just kind of the Haley Deegan story is what it comes down to. But she did run better than she had been. So maybe Thor Sport is the need that, or is the change that she needed. Ford, though, is, continues to pour a lot of money into that program for her. And I just don't see what the payoff there is. Chase Elliott finishes 10th. Um, He hopped in the 35 for Bill McAnally because the driver they're putting in that car, truck, who's blanking on me right now, is not 18 yet. So he'll be in the truck, uh, I believe, for Atlanta. 
which is a hell of a place to make your first career start. So good for good for those guys. Travis Estrada finished 13th in the race. And uh, Corey LaJoy, he finished 23rd, had to pit for fuel, led 19 laps, second highest, tied for the most laps led, actually, with Christian Eckes. And unfortunately gets nothing to show for it. Easily had probably the best truck there. And, um, yeah, bummer for, for him because I know he and those boys wanted to win that race. He's one for one with Bono Mannion as his crew chief. Won a uh, late model race last year at Martinsville. Doesn't get it done this year. Bummer for that. But I think we'll see him in uh, maybe a race or two more this season. Sounds like either Chase Elliott or William Byron will be doing North Wilkesboro for that number seven Spire truck. Uh, which will be interesting to see. All right, before we hop off here real quick, Kyle Busch actually dropped a little bit of uh, information today during his sit-down with Tom Rinaldi in the uh, you know pre-taped, pre-race segment that they did. And they were talking about the negotiations with Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota and ultimately what led him to signing with Richard Childress Racing. And he said that during negotiations, Coach Gibbs, Joe Gibbs, was putting up his own personal money to pay Kyle Busch's salary for this upcoming season if he had re-signed with Joe Gibbs Racing. And Kyle said, I didn't feel comfortable with that, so I said no. Because uh, he didn't want to take Joe's personal money. Which, I, get, I mean, I know Joe Gibbs has money, but like Kyle demands like a eight-figure salary, basically. So that uh, I don't necessarily know where Joe's getting all the money from. Is he laundering money? Is he Eisenberging this? I'm not sure. But... It sounds like Toyota just was done with Kyle Busch. Uh, I got a little bit of information that said that they were going to move over to Tricon slash David Gillen Racing. Regardless, they were going to move all their funding over there for like their developmental program to him. And uh, Kyle was basically on the outside looking in, which I think is honestly the biggest part on why he signed with Chevy. During the truck broadcast, they mentioned that it took like a day for him to get a cup contract worked out and weeks to get the truck series contract worked out. Uh, because he wanted to make sure that all of his employees were taken care of. And I think we all respect that. But that news about Joe Gibbs Racing putting up his own personal money to fund Kyle Busch for this year, that was new That was new news. And pretty revealing news at that to basically talk about how, or highlight that Toyota didn't want him back, despite Toyota constantly saying over the last six to eight months that they wanted Kyle Busch back and they were doing everything they could and you know, it just didn't work out. Because it doesn't, certainly doesn't sound like uh, they wanted him back. Which is interesting. This comes after David Wilson, uh, TRD president David Wilson said, you know, on Sat, I think it was Saturday or Friday. Friday, I think. Yeah, I can't even get my days straight anymore. That, um, you know, there's going to be days that they miss Kyle Bush and days that they weren't going to miss Kyle Bush and they'll leave it at that. Which is like, you didn't need to say that. I mean, we know Kyle Bush isn't an easy guy to work with, but shit. I don't throw him on the bus like that. Either way, um, yeah, it's Kyle, Kyle's gone. He's a Chevy team now in the truck series. His cars, his trucks look fast too. I don't know how good Chase Purdy and Jack Wood are going to be on non-drafting tracks, but they certainly had speed um, once again. So, yeah, that's just interesting, interesting news. Either way, Cup Series and Xfinity Series back in action next week at Fontana, the last race likely ever at auto club because i have zero faith in that track actually ever being converted into a short track they don't have concrete details 
on if it's going to be turned into a half mile or not. The track president said their goal was to make it a half mile, but they're still not sure. They don't have, you know, the plans in place yet. And Steve O'Donnell said, you know, it's safe to say that we're exploring all options in the Los Angeles market. So that to me says that Fontana's dead. They're not even going to make it into a half mile short track. They're just going to level it, turn it into a warehouse park and call it a day. So enjoy this last race at Fontana because this track will, I would put money on it never coming back. And that's a damn shame because in its current format, it's one of the best ovals NASCAR has. Um, And even if they were going to reconfigure it into a West Coast Bristol, essentially, it would have been great. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's too far outside of Los Angeles for NASCAR's liking. And I think they have other ideas on what they want to do. It's unfortunate because it's a it's a good racetrack. But Xfinity Series on Saturday, Cup Series on Sunday. Obviously, 3.30 start time, I believe, for the Cup Series. I believe the Xfinity Series is a 5 o'clock start time. Yeah, 5 o'clock for Xfinity, 3.30 for Cup on Fox. So yeah, we'll uh, be back to recap that next week when all that happens. Formula One gets their preseason testing underway on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Bahrain. And then they're back the week after for the first round of the season in Bahrain. IndyCar is back that next weekend as well. And then NASCAR will be in Phoenix? Where the hell are they going next? I can't even remember if Phoenix or Las Vegas is their third race of the season. You know, this whole West Coast thing. Uh Vegas is their third race of the season. Then we go to Phoenix for an, probably an absolute bore fest. And then back to Atlanta for a drafting uh, crash race. I meant race, not crash, but it works either way. And then off Dakota, Richmond, Bristol Dirt. Easter will be here before we know it. Then Martinsville, Talladega, Dover. And then we're really into the heart of the schedule. So, I don't know, man. Racing's back. Happy for it. We'll see what all plays out here. Either way, Ricky Zinhouse Jr. is a Daytona 500 winner. And uh, I'm happy for those guys. And I mean, hey, I'm from Cincinnati. We got Kroger on board. I'm not a Kroger fan, but it's cool to see a Cincinnati brand, uh, you know, get to victory lane. So be back next week. Follow me on Twitter, or TikTok, at BreakHard. Instagram, Twitter, BreakHardBlog. There's a Facebook out there too. You can find it if you want to. BreakHardBlog as well there. Back next week. Talk to you guys later.